Good morning, RCC. Yeah, um, if you should have your coffee by now. Come on, y'all, all right? It is like the second service. You've been awake longer than the first service people. Um, so welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Josh, and um, I don't work here. Um, I'm not Ben. I'm not as handsome as he is. I don't look like any celebrities like he does. Um, I, but if you were brand new to RCC last week and you heard him, um, Ben talked a little bit about demons and the devil, and I've had nightmares ever since. And so if you decided to come back, we're grateful that you came back today. Um, would you please put your hands together and join me in welcoming in everybody who is watching online right now. Let's make some noise. Yes. I want to thank Ben so much for giving me the opportunity to come and share um, and talk about the way of friendship. Uh, when Ben moved to New England um, several months ago, him and Crystal, they, uh, the, he, Ben kind of like put out, it was like the same thing, same thing that I felt when I moved to New England. I had no friends. Um, three years ago, my family moved here, so I knew exactly how Ben felt. And he was like, hey, I'm going to buy anybody um, lunch who wants lunch. And I was like, man, that's really not nice for like the new guy to buy like different people lunch. And so I was like, hey, I'm going to buy lunch. We'll go somewhere in Salem. Well, that guy took me to the most expensive restaurant in Salem after he found out that I was buying. And so now that he's out of town, um, I've been trying to find which office is his all morning long, and nobody will tell me where it is. Um, but if anybody wants to help me pull some shenanigans on him while he is out, um, I could use your help. So if you know um, anything about where to find his office, I would like to turn stuff upside down in there um, with your help. Um, I want to I express my gratitude and thankfulness to the staff and the elders of RCC giving me a chance to come here and talk about Jesus. Jesus is the hero of my story. Jesus is the hero of my story, I, I, like I, I, and, and part of that looks like the way of friendship. And I found my way back to Jesus through the love of people who loved me before I loved them first. And uh, a little bit about myself. I grew up on a farm in Oklahoma, um, full, yeah, full of cattle um, and, uh, and a whole bunch of mess. My family and I moved to New England three years ago to start a church for people who don't like church in Merrimack, New Hampshire, and is called Movement Christian Church. And um, I, like one of my very first prayers when we moved to New England, um, and, and this is like, this is not like really easy to admit, okay? Like one of the very first prayers that I prayed is, God, would you help me make friends? Have you ever prayed that prayer before? Or maybe you're like, no, I'm all set. I've had the same friends like my whole entire life. I don't need friends. I'm a loner. I'm the lone ranger. I don't need any friends or whatever. Well, like I'm, I'm, I'm like, I love people. I love people. I love people over tasks. I will love, I would spend more time with people than doing tasks all day long, which kind of gets me in trouble sometimes. I don't, cause I don't get the tasks done. And so I moved to New England and was like, God, I really want some friends, and it's really hard to find friends. And every one of us know this, right? Because it's like, it's easy to make acquaintances. It's easy to make like casual, yeah, I know that person. I know their name. I know where they live. I know where they're from, like general info. But it, like, I also knew that it was possible to make friendships that w you could literally be fully yourself. Like where, where like you could be fully known and deeply loved kind of friendships. My mentor once told me that, that there are three primary ingredients to friendship. And since we're talking about that today, like, I think it's important. Like, the first ingredient is time. Like, you need to spend, like, time together in a room, not, like, time with a little green dot, but, like, time, like, actually face-to-face -face in real life, in person, thankfully for technology. It was, like, you know, me FaceTiming my family and my friends 1,600 miles away. It lasted for a while, 
but like deep within me, it just came to this desire, like I need friends, I need friends. And, and so the first ingredient is you got to spend time together. Number two, you got to have fun together. Like, like, I, like this is one of the most important ingredients of relationship, but have you ever noticed like the older we get, the less fun we, we have in our lives? Like the more serious we become, the more we worry, the more we stress, the quicker we get angry, the harder it becomes to actually think that like fun is something that we should actually do, that maybe fun was like not God's idea at some point in time. Do you remember when you were a kid and an authority in your life was like, let's go on a field trip? You were like, all right, let's go, let's go. I'm, a, I'm like, I don't even care where to go. You're, you're like kids, grandkids could be like this. We're like, I'm going on a field trip. Where are you going on a field trip? We're going to the glue factory. No one goes to the glue factory like on purpose. You know what I'm saying? Like nobody's like, you know what I want to do today? I want to go to a glue factory. Nobody does that. But when you're like trapped in a classroom for like nine hours a day and your sweet teacher is like, we're going on a field trip. You're like, anything to bust me out of this joint. I'll go anywhere with anybody and I don't really care. Why? It's like, well, because it's like, it's, it's just kind of fun to do that. It's kind of like, kind of have fun. Like whenever I was a kid, I got walkie talkies for my birthday. My next door neighbor, Austin was like, hey, you have two walkie-talkies. I live next door. Why don't you give me one of those walkie-talkies? I know we can't talk on the phone late at night anymore because our moms can hear us, so let's just do the walkie-talkies kind of secretive. He took a walkie-talkie to his house, and my parents never knew. For years, it was awesome. I finally told him at my high school graduation. I pulled out the walkie-talkie and was like, ha ha, this was your gift, and I found a way to have fun. And so um, I, I think like most of the time, we're like, man, wouldn't it be awesome, like, for God to kind of be like that? Like, he just gives us a walkie-talkie, and we can, like, talk to him, and he could, you know, kind of speak to us. Like, he did! He did! He gave us himself. He gave us his word. He gave us his spirit. He gave us friendship. He gave us this beautiful gift called the church. The third most important ingredient for friendship is the ability to go through hard stuff together. And I think, like, the most important thing here is together. Like, we say this all the time, that life is better together, but you got to be together for it to really be life. And there's a popular TV show that came on in the 90s called Friends, and their theme song went a little bit like this. I'll be, anybody finish it? There for you, all right? So there are two different kinds of camps. Like, I'll be there for you, a kind of a friend that says, I'll be there for you, I'll be there for you, is basically in a kind, in a very kind way saying, I'm going to be inactive, passive in your story. Here's what that looks like. You go through hard stuff, and I'm going to be over here. You know where to find me when you need me. And like what real friendship is, the kind of friendship that we, that we can see through Jesus and from like page one of scripture, is this like never leave you, never forsake you kind of friendship. Like the friend that just never disappears. Like the friend that doesn't say, I'm here for you, but the friend that says, I'm with you. Like I'm with you in the middle of, of your hurt and your heartbreak. Like I'm with you through your suffering and through your celebration. And when like a friend that's willing to sit in silence when there really just are no words. 
or a friend that is willing to celebrate when everyone else is just kind of jealous of what's going on in your life and in your story. In third grade, I, like, I remember the, 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 like, one of the most important friendships of my entire life. There was this girl, I got placed in a seating assignment, and there was this girl in the middle of Oklahoma who came into school one day, and she was wearing a white, gold, and black hockey jersey. Any fans out there? And all of a sudden, it's like I, uh, we had to drive 45 minutes to the closest ice rink to play hockey, and, and myself and this girl were like the only ones. And I was like, I really want to be her friend, but I want to be her boyfriend. And, you know, it's just like the way, the way to become the boyfriend is like, is like through the way of friendship. And I thought, what better way to be her friend as I'm sitting behind her to like pick the hair off of the back of her hockey jersey without her knowing and then I'm going to make a little pile of her hair, and then after class, I'm just going to give it to her and be like, see, look, I am a good friend. You can trust me. I'll pull the hair off the back of your hockey jersey. And she was like, you are so weird, which is awesome. And so I kept being weird and chasing her for many, many years until 10th grade. She finally said yes, and, uh, and we've been together ever since. And uh, like in two days, we'll celebrate 14 years of marriage. All right, this is so good. So and uh, when I think about friendship, I think of Jesse, and I think that um, I think of all the time we've spent together and the fun that we've had together and, and all of the um, really, really, really hard stuff that we've been through. I think of my mentor who showed up in, in my story, um, who walked into my life when I was 13 years old, and he had nothing to gain, but he lived a, he lived a life that just pointed me to Jesus over and over and over, and he never, ever, ever had to do that. I think of, like, one of my best friends on planet Earth. His name's Mark, and, uh, like, becoming a friend means, like, you know, spending time together, doing, going through hard stuff together and having a whole bunch of fun. And so what better way to have fun than to run a 50K trail race around Wachusett Mountain? Um, and, and I was like, uh, and so I was like, hey, listen, I never, you know, have you ever done this in a relationship before? Like, I never really ask you for anything, but I'm going to ask you for something right now. And he was kind of like, anything, what do you want to do? And I was like, we're going to run a 50K. And he said, did you just say 50? And I said, yeah, 5-0, that's like 31-ish miles. And he was like, <clears throat> are you not smart or something? And I was like, no, look, this is going to be so awesome. And so we lined up at like the three weeks ago, 6 a.m. on a Saturday morning while you were probably like at home, still asleep or drinking coffee or something. And we're, we're like, we looked around at all these crazy people. And we're like, this is insane. What on earth are we going to do? We'd made it like nine miles into the 31 miles. And he was a couple of steps behind me. And he said, never, are you ever to say I've never done anything for you in, in, like, in our life? By mile 11, he literally said, when this race is done, we are not friends anymore. <laughs> um, and thankfully, nine hours and 40 minutes later, we finished. And, uh, but but here, here's what was awesome. I think all, like, this race was kind of like a micro-narrative of like, our entire life and friendship since 2010. It was just like a lot of time together and a whole bunch of fun, but we also went through some really, really, really hard stuff. The great theologian John Lennon once wrote, look at all the lonely people. I think there's a way to, you know, like where can we find friendships? And most of us think like, man, we should be able to cultivate and find friendships like here. 
like in this community, in this like community of like-minded people, people who are sharing the same mission, who, who love the same person, whose hero of the story is the same. Like this is supposed to be a safe place. And for many of us, we've found that. But for others of us, we feel like we're just completely on the outside. And then there are some other people out there that have literally never viewed the church as a safe place to build friendships ever before. And I remember sitting, like, sitting in my house in 2015 uh, with one of my friends who had moved to New England and came in and was telling a story about New England. Like 97 out of 100 people do not attend church on any given weekend. And it was like, man, it was like, you know, stats tell the truth, but, but stories change hearts. And I just, like, I thought for a second and I said, wait, what did you just say? 97 people out of 100 are not in any church on any given weekend. And I just kind of like looked around at like all the people at my house and was kind of like, am I the only one whose heart just like snapped in a million little pieces? And I just began praying like, okay, uh, God, I think I'm supposed to go. I think I'm supposed to go, and I was like, I was like reading uh, like about like the friendship of God and the goodness of God, and thinking like, man, like what part do you want me to play in this story? And I was reading through the Bible in a year, like a great, you know, a great pastor would do, and and I was reading through it, and all of a sudden I get to Isaiah 60 verse three that says this: "Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn." And it dawned upon me, Isaiah 60 verse three six oh three that is New Hampshire. And I was like, God, maybe, maybe that's where you want us to go. And I looked at my wife and our, our kids, and we had no idea. We thought we were going to end up in New England in like 2019, 2020 and plant a church in Boston, but God had a better plan for us. And so after getting a call that, that, a, that a church was getting ready to close its doors through a radical act of generosity, that church signed over their deed to my best friend and I to plant a brand new church in Merrimack, New Hampshire. And our wives didn't have three years notice. They had three weeks notice. And what we didn't know when we got here, exactly how dark darkness was actually going to be. And so together with about 40 people, we huddled together in this tiny little room and we just said, man, do you remember like in the very first church what happened? Do you remember like what, what they began to do? Like, do you remember like after Jesus departed and sent his spirit, do you remember like how simple life was there? They devoted themselves to like five different things, the apostles teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, to prayer, and these radical acts of generosity where people were selling stuff to sacrificially meet the needs of people in their community. Like they were the most generous people on the planet, gave up land and farm and possessions to help people. Like what would it take for us to create something like that? And this sweet little lady in our community, she raised her hand and she said, preacher, I think the answer is in the text. We must devote ourselves to prayer. Proskartereo is the word in Greek for devotion, which means constantly diligent. And we began to sit around and we were like, okay, so um, everybody pull out your phones. Pull out your phones right now. We're going to set our alarm to pray every day at 6.03 a.m. and 6.03 p.m., and I was like, I've got a confession. I'm not a 6.03 a.m. kind of a guy, all right? Like, so this is going to be really, really, really hard for me. 
and every single day our alarm goes off, we're going to be reminded that even if I feel alone, even if I actually am alone, like in this moment, that I'm really not alone, that I'm a part of this bigger story that God is writing all throughout New England, and my alarm goes off on my phone, and it's not like an annoying little alarm. It's like, man, this is the call to prayer. This is the call to like, let's get together and let's pray this prayer. And, and so we began to pray this prayer, and it was really simple, and it goes like this. God, move me closer to somebody who needs to move closer to you. Just move me from where I am now. Move me closer to somebody who needs to move closer to you. And guess what God began to do? He began to move us closer. He moved us closer in some really weird ways. One of the ways, uh, you know, as, as bro- moving into a town was trying to make friends, like, we asked this question, what is the fastest way to make friends? Well, the answer became not just the fastest way to make friends, but also the fastest way to, to be labeled a weirdo or misunderstood or whatever. And we had the idea to stand on the busiest street corner in our town in Merrimack at the corner of the library and on Monday mornings while people were commuting on their way to work and hold, hold encouraging signs that didn't have any information or directions to our website. But we were like, what if we just showed up out there every single Monday? Because like Monday, statistically speaking, are the days that most people um, who are planning to end their life will end their life on a Monday. And we said like, most people hate Mondays. What if we could make Monday matter again? Like what if we could actually bring joy back to people as they're on their way to work. And what if, like, what if we could meet people who are in need of a little bit of hope? And we absolutely had no idea where that would take us and what that would bring us to. And I think many of us, and our hope was that people would be able to find friendship and life and hope in relationship. Not just with a relationship with Jesus, but with what Jesus came to establish called the church the capital C church, the capital K kingdom, the church shows up in scripture in three, per, three particular uh, times in the gospels, 114 times throughout the New Testament. And it is a word ecclesia, broken up from two different words. Ek means out, out from and to, and kaleo, which means to call. It literally means the called out of the world and to Jesus people. Now, I don't know what you think about when you think, hear the word church. But do you think about that? Like the out from the world and to Jesus people? That's awesome. Hey, we're going to be like, you know, that like brings a whole new meaning to like I'm trying to explain this to my kids. You know, I have two little boys and, a, and an older daughter. And so my boys are like eight and 10 years old. And so, you know, trying to explain ecclesia to them. And I was like, I was breaking it down like ek, you know, out from and to. And my little son, Jeremiah, who's like a wise guy, like he's like, I think he might do this one day with his life or something. He's like, dad, that's like, you know, so, so now we can be like, dad, let's get the ek out of here. And I was like, you got it, dude. You know, like an eight-year-old, he knows, like he's learning Greek. Like, bear with him, all right? He can't like spell very well, but he knows his Greek stuff. And so, um, like Jesus' plan for the church was, was for us to live a story that was bigger than us, that didn't point to us, that didn't reflect about us. And so, so what ends up happening along the way is some, somewhere the narrative gets switched and the church becomes more synonymous with the building or with a place, and it is a lie that we buy. The church is not a place. The church is a people, which is why those of you who've been a part of this community for a long while, whenever you're out of town or you get sick and you miss, like you aren't here in a weekend celebration, when you come back that next time, you don't hug the building, you know? You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't miss the building. You miss the people, 
You miss the community. You miss the relationships. You miss the intimacy. You miss the people who have suffered with you, the people who have shared with you, the people who have cared for you and your family. One guy whose life was transformed by the gospel who inspired me. I was 13 years old. I walked into a Walmart and I stole and ended up being uh, like getting arrested in a moment, like, like it was like the absolute rock bottom point of my life. And all the ladies in the room are like hiding their purses and the guys are sitting on their wallets right now. It's all right. Your money's safe. I'm not going to, you know, that was a long time ago. And so like, I, I was like on, like on my face and I had never heard the story about grace. I had no idea what grace really was. And I heard this story about a guy, named, a guy named Saul whose life was completely transformed and turned upside down. And then he, God used him in this unbelievable way to help start churches. And I was like, I wonder if God could do the same thing with me. And I just kind of like stayed there until some people showed up in my life and showed me what it looks like to live a story where Jesus is the hero. And so uh, Paul writes this letter to a region of churches in Galatia, and he says, he says this, and it just imprinted on my soul and said, carry one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Carry one another's burdens. Carry one another's burdens. Carry one another's burdens. That doesn't look like I'm here for you. That looks like I'm with you. That looks like we are with you. That's like you give me some of that weight, all right? And this is like one of the crazy things is like if, you, if you've ever tried to move a couch on your own, like ever in your life, and some of you have done that, um, and it's like, it's not easy, right? It's not easy to carry such a burden, like a couch around, but you get a couple other people around the corners of it, and you can be able to move it. And I think that this is no better demonstrated in the life of Jesus when Jesus was like performing all of these miracles. And what happens when um, like good news spreads, good news like was transforming an entire region and Jesus began to withdraw and people were pushing in on him. And he was like, man, I'm just, I'm tired. I need a break. And he withdrew to like a lonely place. And there's this pattern throughout Jesus's life. If you look through the gospels, it's like Jesus goes from a lonely place to a lonely people to a lonely place to a lonely people, to a lonely, like, why is that? Because I think, like, he knew that there's, there's, there's this moment where every single one of us, and for us, this kind of looks like 6.03 a.m., where there's no noise, where there's no commotion, where we can focus on the most important friendship and relationship with our Heavenly Father. And Jesus, like, had just done this and performed some healings, and he makes the corner to head home, and, like, all of a sudden, some crazy stuff starts happening. If you have your scriptures, open up to Mark chapter 2, and at, Jesus had just performed this miracle, and a few days later, he, like, makes it turn the corner of the north shore of Galilee in a tiny town called Capernaum, and a few people had heard that he was on the way home. And like most, most of us are like, hey, one of our friends is home. This has got to be super awesome. And they gathered together in such large num numbers that there was no room left. Man, that's, kind of a, that's kind of a good problem. Like all, like all of us who are like introverted are like, oh wait, there was no room left. That means like the walls were sweating and there was no AC and there was like all this like, there's like stress and like the, the host families, like there's no room left whatsoever. Not even outside of the door. I mean, this place, this house party was absolutely jammed. So this is like packed in like sardines. This was like sardine house in Capernaum. These people are like packed in and there's like, Mark is telling us there's not even room outside. Nobody could get close. 
And I just like, I just kind of think like uh, this, this whole narrative, they're like in this house, Jesus is teaching, you know, they're like, uh, okay, we know Jesus is coming into town and there's going to be a really big crowd. What do we do? How do we get people together? Like, well, who has the biggest place? And I imagine everybody was like, oh, this, you know, this family is coming to mind. And all of a sudden, the room begins to kind of fill up. And I don't know about you, but like, it's really hard to celebrate when you know somebody that is suffering, isn't it? Like, every single one of us want the blessing of friendship, but along with that blessing comes the responsibility of carrying a burden. Like, we, we want to be, like, have, have, like, this, like, full life of, like, relationship and vitality, but at the same time, we're like, can I have the blessing of friendship without the burden of friendship? To which, like, these, this, th- what happened was is this room began to fill up just like this room did. You should have seen this room five minutes before the service started. It was like, like maybe like Brian in the band and there's nobody in this joint. And then all of a sudden just whoosh. And I was like, this is kind of what this house was like. But imagine being in this place and all of a sudden four guys just get up and they're like, have you ever experienced something before? And you were like, who needs to be here that's not here that needs to hear what I'm hearing? Have you ever been in a moment like that? Like these four guys were like, Jesus is coming to town. Oh my goodness, we missed our chance. And immediately, I imagine all four guys began to make eye contact with one another and they were like, let's go get him. And so they left the house and they went and found their friend who was paralyzed. And what you need to know about people in the first world who was paralyzed, in, in our world, most of the time, the baseline towards people who have a special need is compassion in our world. But in Jesus's world, it was avoidance. In Jesus's world, it was like, no, like they're not a part of what we're a part of. But there was something different about these four guys. Because when they knew Jesus was coming to town, they were like, we have a friend that needs to be here. And so I imagine that their alarms went off at like 6.03 p.m. as the house was filling up, and they were like, uh, sorry guys, you can take our spot, we'll, we'll be back, we gotta go get our friend. And so off they went, and they found this friend, and he was paralyzed, and they showed up, which means, you know, this guy's paralyzed, his hands would have been callous and probably had open sores from being able to move around, not being able to use his legs. He would have lived his entire life on a mat, so he would not get sores from sitting on the ground all of the time. He wouldn't have had control of his bowel or his bladder. Kind of hard in that position to make friends, right? And these four guys roll up into his story, and they're like, listen, I know you've been living this way for a really long time, but Jesus is coming to town. Um, Hold on. What do you mean, hold on? Guys, grab a corner. Grab a corner of the mat. And they grabbed the corner of this man's mat, and they carried him all the way to the house. But whenever they got to the house... There was no room for them to get their friend into the feet of Jesus, like into the room where Jesus was. And so, you know, like within this, this was like so convicting for me. And I wrote down in my journal as I was reading through this. It was like, am I, am I more about a place or am I more about people? Like as I'm like journaling through this, I'm really struggling through this. And one day, one, like I was sick not too long ago. And, and I like spent like six hours on the couch, felt like I was going to die. And there was nothing on TV but Chip and Joanna. You know what I'm saying? And they were like remodeling the houses and I just began to look at my house and was like, man, there's a lot of work that needs to be done in this joint. I need to start doing all this. You know, and then all of a sudden I wasn't sick anymore. I was like, no, there are people, there are people to be loved. I don't need to do anything in this house. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, and so all of a sudden they, they carry this guy to the place and there's, there's no room. I imagine they set 
one, they set him down, and one guy ran in and was like, guys, there's no space. There's like no way we're going to be able to get him in. And so all of a sudden, they, they're like, okay, what do you do? They run up the outside steps, which would have taken them to the roof. The roof would have been at least 24 inches tall with like planks on the first 12 inches, and the next 12 inches would have literally been like dirt and clay, and some people grew grass and gardens on their roof. And while Jesus was teaching, I imagine they brought him up here, and we're like, okay, uh, Frank, you're really good at geometry. Where do you think Jesus is? Like, well, I think he's like right here. Well, go downstairs and ask the wife if she's okay with the little skylight right here. Because while Jesus was teaching, while he was like teaching to a room that is full of people, all of a sudden dirt and clay just started like coming down into the room. And all of a sudden everybody, like I just imagine there's one tiny distraction in a room and everybody's eyes shift. And I imagine Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. And all of a sudden they're seeing literally the, the roof is being wrecked. And this man gets lowered on a mat with ropes and pulleys and positioned right down to the feet of Jesus. I just like, this is like unbelievable. I just like imagine the tension that is within this story. Like, can you imagine sitting in that room in that space? I imagine when the hole opened up, everybody was like, what is happening now? And all of a sudden they begin to lower him down. And I, about the time he gets a foot through the roof, I imagine everybody's stomachs just dropped because everybody knew who it was. Everybody knew who it was. And everybody had walked past this man to get to this house, except for these four friends. And they, they loved Jesus enough to know that there were some people out there whose hero was not Jesus in their story. And so I just want to ask you this question. Like, whose mat do you need to grab? Like, whose, whose mat do you uniquely need to grab? Like, when, whenever we moved here, we had no idea how, how hard it was going to be or how dark it was going to be. And um, we, we met this guy named Bruce. And we, we, we prayed for Bruce for like, like months and months and months. We kind of knew that he existed. And in 2016, when our family moved here, we just began to pray like every single day for literally like 150 days before we opened on January 1st, 2017. Every day, 6.03 a.m. and p.m., our alarms would go off and we would pray these prayers. Meanwhile, like Bruce's life was just completely falling apart and we didn't even know him yet. Like what happened in Bruce's life and his story was that in March, his wife passed away in 2016, his wife of over 30 years. And in May, one morning in May, when Bruce was getting ready for work, he was in his late 60s, he went down his stairs into his basement to check on his son, and he walked down and found his son had overdosed on opioids, and he was gone. And in two months, Bruce had lost the two people closest to him. And you would think, like, man, like, that is a moment of just absolute and pure hopelessness. And so, Bruce had had a lot of trauma in regards to the ecclesia early on in his adult life. Something had happened, and he was told that he could never come back to church ever again, and so he just kind of suffered alone. And so he returned to his, his, his alcohol addiction, and he began to drink, and um, what ended up happening two months later is he ended up in rehab. And whenever he ended up in rehab in Florida— like his counselor was looking at him and said, Bruce, you've, you've got to have a motivation, some, some reason to get through this recovery. Because if you don't, 
then you're going to be, you're going to be in this place where um, it's just going to be miserable for you. And the only thing that Bruce could think about was his granddaughter. And so Bruce began to, to dream and think about this, this sweet, beautiful girl. And so he began to think about her. And what we didn't know about Bruce was, was that Bruce was literally planning to come back to New England he was planning to come back to New England, get his estate in order, and leave everything to his granddaughter, and then he was planning to end his life. And as he landed at Logan International Airport from Orlando, he began to, to drive all the way from Boston to here, and as he crossed the state line and just passed Salem, he said, God, you have one more chance. If you don't want me to do this, you're going to need to send me a sign. You're going to need to give me a sign. And what Bruce didn't know on that Monday in November of 2016 is there were 40 people, unbeknownst, had no idea what was going on in Bruce's life or his story and didn't even know that he existed, that met together to pray at 6.03 a.m. And then right after that, they scattered out all across Merrimack and put out hundreds and hundreds of yard signs and so when Bruce made the turn off of exit five in Londonderry and made the, the drive over through the airport and past Merrimack, he would see sign after sign after sign after sign after sign. And he walked into his front door and found his mail that he'd left for two months, and he sees an invitation to church, to opening day of movement. In the very front, it was a postcard about this size. On the very front, it said, if you feel like there is no hope and there, there's no time left in your story, there is still story left. All of a sudden, Bruce enters in, into, into this space and sits in the back row, and we didn't know him. We didn't know his story. We knew none of this at this point. A few months in, if you remember in 2017, we were like talking about what love does and, and about friendships and relationships, and we say like, listen, this hurricane just hit Houston, and we're going to put a trip and a team together to send people in. Like, Jesus kind of people are going to be the first in, last to leave kind of people. And, and like, Bruce didn't know this. He was so new to church. He just like stood up in the back and was like, me, pick me pick me, pick me, I want to go on a field trip, you know, and he's like in his late 60s, and he's in the back, and we're like, okay, this is awesome, Bruce, it's like, we're going to get you signed up, just stay with us, man, and so, like, like, he ends up going on the trip, like a dozen or so other people go, and it was the last day of the trip, and I look down at my phone, my phone starts ringing, and uh, it's the trip leader, which, you know, the trip leader usually only calls when there's a problem, and the trip leader's like, uh, Joshua, I need you to talk to Bruce, and I was like, oh no, what's going on? Like, well, we have a really big problem. Like, we're all, like, packing up and loading our stuff back, and it's, like, the last day, and we're trying to get to the airport to come back to New England. And Bruce says he's not coming. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, like, Bruce keeps saying, like, like we're going to be the first in, last to leave, and there's still more work to do here. And I was like, what? That's awesome! That's so awesome! Like, like he's finally found his purpose. Like, he has life, and this is what it is supposed to look like. And, and like, you want, like, I'm not going to talk him out of it. Like, he wants to stay. This is awesome like this is it and I was like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do it and so like in the very last minute Bruce ends up getting on the plane reluctantly and he looks at the leader is like listen I'm like I'm gonna come but I'm gonna come back I'm gonna drive my car and you're not gonna be able to tell me when I need to leave and I was like you know it's like this is so awesome and like shortly after that Bruce gets back and he's like I'm I'm ready for Jesus to be the hero of my story 
And he walked up one morning fully clothed, and he was like, I'm, I'm ready right now. And he was baptized in, in, like, fully clothed in everything. And shortly after that, like, everything that we said, we're like, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Like, Bruce began to do every single thing. And since that moment, like, I felt like I was sitting one morning, it was like, it was like the week of Thanksgiving, and my alarm went off and just felt like super heavily, like, I said, Jesse, I think we just need to invite Bruce to, like, you know, be a part of our family because I think that this is what Jesus is calling us to do. And he's like, yeah, absolutely. And since then, like, every single, single major holiday, Bruce has, like, been around our table with our family, and our kids look at him as, as a grandpa. Shortly before Thanksgiving, Bruce showed up in our office one day, and we had this thing, we say, like, anything for Bruce, anything for Bruce, anything for Bruce. And he showed up, and he was like, um, I need you to do me a favor. And I was like, I, anything for Bruce. And he was like, but it's going to be illegal. And I was like, what? He's like, well, like, I need to keep this promise to my wife and my son. And at this point in time, I still didn't know Bruce's entire story. And I was like, anything, anything for you, Bruce. And he's like, well, we're going to, like, I'm going to have him come pick you up at, like, four in the morning when it's still dark. We're going to drive to Northampton in the super, you know, family spot that we've always had. And we're going to throw my wife and son's ashes into the ocean. And I was like, this is no problem. Like, we can do this. I can, like, read some scripture. We can pray. It would be awesome. And he's like, there's just one thing you need to know. This is, like, illegal in the state of New Hampshire. And I was like, what? And he's like, but it's okay. I've got plenty of money to bail us out if we need to get, you know, it's like, you know, get out of jail or whatever. It's like, it's all right, dude. I've been there. Like, it's like, this is nothing new for me, so let's go. And we, we, like, get to the beach, and he opens up his trunk, and I walk around the back of the trunk. And he looked at me, and he said, Josh, would you carry my son? And into the trunk, he reaches up and hands me his son's urn. And he begins, to he begins to tell me part of the story that I didn't know, that you already know. He said, Josh, if, if you guys wouldn't have left everything that you knew, everyone that you loved, to come to New England, to turn on a light, somebody would be carrying three urns into this ocean today. And he said, Jesus is the hero of my story. Thank you for carrying my mat. So whose mat do you need to grab? Like, let's cut the artificial stuff out. No exemptions here. Whose mat do you need to grab? Paul said, like, in this way, when you carry one another's burdens, when you carry one another, in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. There was one day when Jesus carried the burdens for all of humanity when he marched up the steps of Calvary. And he wrecked all preconceived notions and understanding of what love really looked like, and he gave his life. And I don't know where you're at in your story, but this is something we do every single week as a community. We celebrate that act through a time that we call communion, where we take a piece of bread to remember his body that was broken, his blood that poured out to cover all of our sins. And if you're somebody who's just like, I I believe that, or maybe we would love for you to celebrate that, or if you're somebody who's so new to all this, you can just let the trays pass without any judgment whatsoever. Whose mat do you need to grab? Jesus, we thank you so much. We thank you so much for the love that you had for every single one of us, that you were able to love us in the middle of our worst. We thank you for the hope that we have in heaven we thank you for dispatching the kingdom and sending people rushing into our lives to point us to your son over and over and over. As we come to this moment of communion, 
I pray that you would push us towards people that need to move closer to you. That we would live a story that is not focused on ourselves, but a story that helps the 603 find everlasting life in your son. Every time we come to this moment, Jesus, it never gets old. We can't imagine the weight of all of our sin, of all of our shame, of all of our guilt, all of our excuses. You did what none of us could have ever done. Jesus, thank you. Amen.